This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in fit, comfort, and ventilation. So you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. Today we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means come on in a way or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now let's cut to the chase. LA Outdoor Personal Care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes, and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress and taste like a milkshake without all the crap. Lisa was the first one to assess it because she is the climber. So she's like, hey, there's this podcast and they're asking for spouses or significant others of people that are really into climbing, but you're not. She's like, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. That is me. Uh, sure. I'll send a message. Oliver reached out in May of 2021 about my post asking for significant others of people obsessed with climbing. Did I say obsessed? I mean obsessed. But Oliver's feelings towards the climbing world drift between bemusement and alarm. What's it like to move within climbing circles despite not having an active interest in the sport itself? And how the heck does that work when you're married to a climber? We had questions. My name is Elisa Garza, and I live in San Antonio, Texas. I was born there, but I grew up in Mexico, and I've been back for about 10 years. My day job is I'm a product designer uh, for a financial tech company, so I've been doing that for about two years. Before that, I owned a dance and acting studio. And I am Oliver Gherkin. I also live in San Antonio, Texas with my wife, Elisa. <laughs> um, I'm originally from upstate New York, so moving down to Texas in 2010 was a bit of a shock in terms of weather and culture, but very happy I was able to meet my wife in San Antonio. And what I'm doing with my life right now is I work for a cloud company and I draft finance contracts for a living, which is usually when people's eyes start to glaze over, but um, I really enjoy it. It's a really fun job for me because I have a background in technical writing, and then in my spare time, I have a few hobbies, but a lot of our time is spent together being outdoors and 
planning the next trip to Colorado. <laughs> Are we so socialized that sharing the same passions and interests with our partner is a deal breaker? What does it look like when those interests diverge? And is climbing so unique that it's the be-all, end-all for relationships? Maybe, but it isn't for Oliver and Elisa. So Elisa is the loudest laugh in the room. Um, on multiple occasions, we've been able to find where she is at the crag by just standing and listening. And that's not an exaggeration. The most recent time it happened, I was walking to the crag with her brother, my brother-in-law. And I said, we'll probably hear Elisa before we see her. And right on cue, we hear this amazing laugh, like a lion roaring over the Serengeti. And that was Elisa. And her brother just looks at me and nods and goes, yep, that's about right. So that should say something about Elisa. She's a very positive presence in the room and extremely dedicated to whatever she chooses to apply herself to, in this case, climbing. And it is a sport that really showcases how she weaves together her determination with her social charisma and her loyalty to her friends. So she's really cultivated a lovely group of people around her interest in this sport. Part of it, I think, because you started collecting people and taking them out to create that group <laughs> that you could all go out and climb with. Uh, but that's a really positive aspect of who you are and how you use the sport in your life. Okay, you describe me now. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. <laughs> You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is episode 36 and our very last episode of the season. That's right, Mama's taken a vacation. What's a vacation? I don't actually know, but I'm envisioning some Spanish limestone and maybe a little trip to Greece. We'll be back in May with a brand new season. And we've got 10 powerful stories that we can't wait to share with all of you. In the meantime, you can subscribe to the show for potential updates and bonus episodes. But seriously, guys, no promises. You can also leave us a review on iTunes because we love hearing from you. And if you've been meaning to support the pod, now's the perfect time. Find us on Patreon to back our work for less than a dollar bodega coffee. Thanks to this year's sponsors. That's Gnarly Nutrition, LA Outdoor, Vibram, and First Descent Coffee. Shout out to Bridget Kilgallen from Terakaya, Kika McFarlane, and Peter Darmy for the incredible work that they put into this season. And a huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Patagonia. Because acknowledging someone else's reality allows others to show up as they are. And we think that's important in a world where we pretend that everything's fine when it's not. Your experiences of grit, audacity, determination, and resilience do just that. We're back at it in 2022 and are committed to showing a more honest representation of what the climbing community looks like and what it has the potential to become. Because like it or not, climbing has changed and will never be the same. We think that's a good thing. We're going to keep elevating important voices of our community as these shifts in male-dominated spaces continue. Because equality is the end goal and equity is how we get there. And we're aware of that, and just to put more sparkle in your day, that's a fairly consistent theme throughout our entire climbing group. It's the ladies who are out crushing, and the guys are like, okay, we're done. <laughs> like, can we go get a beer now? Because it's hot, it's sexist, and, you know, Elisa and our other friends will still be out. Just, I don't know, whatever you do when we leave. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into trouble. 
You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sorta. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Turbike Climbers. Here's the show. Do I call you Ollie? Can I call you? No, I'll call oh, you so Oliver. We should, okay. we should tell the people that my name is Oliver and I prefer Oliver, but you will hear my close friends and family refer to me as Ollie. It's a pet name. So yeah, I call you Ollie. Yeah. So Ollie is the safety police. He is not, a, not in a bad way. He keeps us safe. He keeps me safe. Whenever I come up with a crazy idea, he's the one that goes, okay, let's be rational and think about this and see... <laughs> how we can make sure that we get out of this alive. And he's very amenable to some of my crazier ideas, but on the flip side of me where he's very methodical, he thinks things through. He mentioned he's a technical writer and he's not just a technical writer, he's an incredible actual writer. He writes lots of poems. He's written me beautiful poems. <laughs> Whereas, as he mentioned, you know, I bring people together and collect friends. He's very much a family person. And so it's that drive to want to make sure that his family, and that includes close friends, are taken care of that really helps cultivate and nourish the friendships that we have together. Elisa used the word amenable just now, and it's true. Elisa will bring these ideas to me or these goals for these climbing journeys. And sometimes I will hear them and have to stop myself and say, okay, take a breath. You know, we can make this work maybe, uh, but not always. <laughs> and then she's been talking about how, you know, the first thing she wants to do, of course, when she gets here is to go climbing. And that is a fairly consistent theme whenever we go anywhere where climbing exists. So we wake up this morning after having driven six hours, arriving at our Airbnb at midnight. She rolls over, opens her eyes and says to me, can we do an activity today? I'm like, oh, an activity. I wonder what that could be. And she looks at me and she says, after a pause, she says, Holly, it's Saturday. I haven't climbed since Tuesday. <laughs> so I said, okay, we will do our best to get out there and climb today. And she takes her phone and turns it to me and she's already got Mountain Project pulled up with all of the pin drops where all of the places are. Unfortunately, we didn't get to go climbing today, but as a concession, we did go for a hike before it started to rain on the flat irons. I wanted to acclimate. Yeah. What better way to acclimate than through heavy exercise? Yeah, this is the difference, right? I'm like, ah, yes, let's acclimate, drink some water, have an Advil, go to bed early. No, no, let's go and put our bodies through strenuous exercise to remind it that it's at altitude and get used to it quickly. It's just a personality difference. <laughs> and I really enjoy itineraries and plans, and there really isn't one for this trip. And the experience has felt a bit like herding cats, a little bit in a positive way, but we don't really know where we're gonna be or what we're doing. And I'm trying not to be stressed out by that. But I have ideas. Elisa has ideas and I'm just gonna say yes, cause it's gonna be great. <laughs> but I mean, again, the reason we're on this climbing trip ultimately is because of Elisa, because she cultivated this group of amazing people and friends that now I get to benefit from and cook for and stuff. 
so we're here with friends that she kind of pulled into the climbing world and got them all addicted. Well, she got the ladies addicted. The guys are the ones that will peace out for a beer after we've spent too long outside in Enchanted Rock in Texas when it's 100 degrees. <laughs> We're gonna be here until next Sunday. And so our two other friends have never really explored Colorado. And so even though I'm more of a boulderer at this point right now, I definitely want them to experience, you know, some sport climbs in Boulder Canyon. We wanna go out to Rocky Mountain National Park and boulder out there. My favorite type of climbing is where it's just an adventure, where you're just having a great time with friends. And so getting to do a little bit of that as many days as possible between now and next Sunday. Nothing but respect for climbers who live in areas where access is, at minimum, hours away. Beyond braggadocio rights like the Houston Astrodome and the birthplace of frozen margaritas and Beyonce. Texas does have a sort of rugged beauty to it, as Oliver likes to put it. Home of the Sonora Caverns and Guadalupe Peak, there's definitely an array of pristine wilderness to explore. And what Texas lacks in elevation, Elisa and Oliver compensate for with a casual 15-hour commute to Rocky Mountain National Park to go alpine bouldering, which is actually just code name for an infinite amount of walking. Yes, Kathy, it is a lot of hiking. It's so much hiking. I think with the last time we were here, we're crazy people. That's all I have to say. I'm a crazy person by association with you because what we did was we took crash pads and our backpacks and we went up. How many times did we go up all the way to try the kind? Just twice. Oh, just twice. It felt like more, <laughs> but we went up twice and one time we got caught in a thunderstorm and apparently did something you're not supposed to do, which is tuck ourselves under a boulder when we were up there. We get ourselves into some situations. That was a little scary. Despite my overwhelming sense of caution. But yeah, it's it's great to get up there because it's really beautiful. I mean, you have to understand we live in Texas, which to some people has a rugged sort of beauty, but we think Colorado is more attractive. <laughs> it's a little bit prettier. I like babbling brooks and ravens and elk and stuff. So you get up in the mountains and above the tree line a little bit, and you're just kind of looking down into everything green and craggy and seeing all the wildlife. It's really nice. I'm usually bringing a book, and Elisa's up there climbing. I spot when she needs it, but I don't really know. What else is there to say about alpine climbing? Honestly, I mean, it's just so beautiful. To me, you're getting like a two for one. You get a beautiful hike, and you get to climb. I mean, what, what more could you ask for, right? They got marmots. You get marmots. Yeah, they, they crack me up. I like those guys. <laughs> I really want to circle back really quickly to the whole crash pad thing, walking up the whole Alpine trail. Much more awkward than the actual item that you're carrying is the number of people that will ask you what the heck it is that you've got on your back. And all of the dads asking all of the dad joke questions about the crash pad. Like, is that a massage table? You gonna go sleep up there? What is that? <laughs> So I used to act professionally and I used to do improv. So for me, it just became a fun game of making up something. Anytime somebody asked, just dead plan and being like, oh yeah, no, it's a yoga mat. They're thick because the mountains are craggy. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. That makes sense. We did set them straight before they got too far though. We didn't, it wasn't like we were spreading fake crash pad news all the time.
In a digital age where we share the details of our day-to-day lives with family, friends, and followers, why do some of us still feel embarrassed to admit that we're looking for love? Online dating apps are no longer a taboo thing. And the benefit is letting potential significant others know exactly what we're looking for. Of course, there's still a whole dark side to online dating, but even so, more than a third of Americans are swiping for love. We met online, which it works, folks. Try it if you haven't tried it, I guess. We're a case of success, but we were able to see our profiles first and both were very well filled out. So it was almost like getting a resume for the person you were going to meet ahead of time. So if your question is, what was my first impression of Elisa online versus in person? They're both very positive, but the reason why I looked forward to meeting Elisa in person was because she was the only person out of all the women that I'd seen online that talked about how grateful she was in her life. So her positivity, which I found to be fairly rare, and how she portrayed herself, it seemed very genuine, and that was also the case when I met her in person. Funny story, you don't know what I look like because this is a podcast, but I'm probably the least threatening person you might ever see. I'm probably 125 pounds wet and five foot eight and five foot seven, I shouldn't lie. And I drove a Kia Soul at the time and I really wanted to pick her up for our first date, not thinking about the fact that as a woman, she might not want to be picked up by a stranger she met on the internet. So... I was trying to be polite. You should probably pick up the story because it's much more interesting from your perspective. Here, you continue. Because the first impression in reverse is much more interesting, I feel like. Yeah, this is going to lead into my first impression. So we had been chatting online for a while, and we finally decided to schedule a date. And so we made the plans, and he said, let me pick you up. (laughs) And being a woman, you know, there are certain red flags about being picked up by someone you've never met before. So I was like, you know what? That's okay. We can meet there. No, 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 really, let me pick you up. I was like, oh gosh, this is probably a mistake, but I'm gonna say yes. But I'll still be a little strategic about it. Meet me at the front of my apartment complex, and that way he won't know what I drive, he won't know where I live, you know, and I am still probably stupidly getting into the car with a stranger who I've never met before. And I'm thinking that to myself as I'm walking towards the front of my apartment complex. And I round the corner, I see Ollie parked out front of the complex, standing right next to this bubble green Kia Soul. And he's wearing these cute little shorts. He wow, just looks okay. <laughs> he looks no, no. I don't know what bubble green is, first of all. It was an <laughs> army green Kia Soul. And I was in normal shorts. Sorry. <laughs> Too close to the mic. No, no, no. You're totally good. <laughs> this, this bubbly green. Like, it's, bu- like it's a what bubble. What is bubble green? <laughs> it's bubbly. Like, oh, the, yes. the car shape is a little bubble. So I round the corner and I see him there. And he's standing right next to it. He looks real cute. And he turns and he sees me. And his eyes light up and he smiles from cheek to cheek and starts just waving frantically. And I look at him and I go, oh, I'm okay. I will be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could take him. <laughs> I'd also like, to, yeah, I could take him. Yeah, there you go. That's that's what we needed to get to. I think even at that point, your muscles were bigger than mine. Full disclosure, they are still much bigger than mine. We meet, and I, I jump in the car, and he gets into the driver's seat and pulls out a small Ziploc bag and goes, I made muffins yesterday, and I brought you one. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely okay. I'm not going to eat that muffin, but I think I'm fine. 
Elisa had recently taken over a dance studio, and while she loved dancing, because it became her full-time profession, it took away some of the joy. So, she started looking for something outside of dancing, and had already been climbing for six months when she first met Oliver. Yeah, you know how some people, when they first in a relationship, like, oh, I need to introduce you to my family, or oh, I need to introduce you to my child. She's like, no, let me introduce you to this hobby, and also, would you like to do it with me? Because I need someone to blame me. <laughs> that was essentially the angle. It was very quickly into the relationship that you're like, now it is time for you to really meet me, and the person you're about to meet is the climber. There wasn't a real climbing gym in San Antonio at the time, but there was one in Austin, which is about an hour and a half away. And I'm not kidding, twice a week, sometimes after work, we would drive down to Austin, get there at like 9 p.m., stay till closing at 11 p.m., and then drive back and wake up the next day for work. I don't know how we did that. I feel like I can barely drag myself out of bed in the morning and we don't even do anything. And that was crazy. We, yeah, we would literally leave after work. And folks might not understand, I-35 is a stretch of highway between San Antonio and Austin. And the traffic is terrible. And we still did it. And we'd be there all the time. And I don't understand how we had the energy for that. That was crazy. And thank goodness, we finally got a bouldering gym in San Antonio. Shout out to Armadillo Boulders, one of the greatest places in the world because it saved us so much gas and because it's more places for the climbers to climb that they don't have to drive all over because there's very little climbing in Texas in general, outdoors or otherwise. So the place we were going to was the only place with ropes and I prefer ropes to bouldering. I like to feel controlled and I like to joke that Elisa falls like a superhero and I fall like a dead body. So like she will do that thing like that superhero landing where she comes down like she's fist between the knees looking very cool and If I don't down climb it means I've fallen and if I fall that means that I'm probably walking home with whiplash It's not a good scene. It's not attractive. Nothing sexy about it. So I always down climb And no outdoors I do not climb outdoors. I do not understand it. I have tried it. And I know that I would be the person. I see them all climb, they do fine. They get up, they get down. I would be the reason you had to call an ambulance that day. First try, I know it. So I don't do it. <laughs> I read a book and carry the snacks. Elisa is the dedicated climber and Oliver just isn't. And yet they spend a majority of their free time tied in together or bouldering. She and Oliver have a mutual respect of the other's passions and interests, but that's a direct result of open and honest communication. That was very much the thing. She's like, I really like climbing and you're in my life now. I know you like me. Would you please learn how to belay? There was no angle or secret. She was very explicit. She's like, will you learn how to belay so that I can go and do more climbing? I'm like, well, I really like your smile. You got me completely Twitter-pated, fine. We will learn me how to belay. And I do it, I, I prefer, and this is how everyone that listens to this podcast who's a climber is gonna know that I'm not a climber because I've seen the Facebook comments. I prefer climbing in a gym. I'm not entirely clear on what the fascination is with climbing outside. And I know there are gonna be people aghast at what I'm saying here. I am not a climber, you all are climbers. <laughs> I enjoy the controlled environment. I like the air conditioning. I enjoy the exercise. It's a cool sport, but that's where I'm happiest. But I love taking Elisa out and going out with our friends. And I enjoy being out there with them in the nature. I enjoy belaying. It's meditative for me. 
It's methodical and soothing, and I love watching them enjoy themselves so much because they obviously get a lot out of it. Oliver knows his reasons for starting to climb and stands in his truth. And that's incredibly respectable. We have so much respect for it. For Ollie, can I call you Ollie yet? It's not about personal growth or visiting beautiful places or fitness or community. It can be a little bit of those things, sure. But his core motivation is that he gets to spend that time with his wife. And as for Lisa... Oh my gosh. I... (laughs) Where do we start? How much time do you have? When I first started climbing, it was a really easy stepping stone because I was coming from that dancing background. And what got me into dancing was just the beauty of the choreography and the movement. And I think there's a lot of shared elements with dancing and with climbing. And I have a very competitive personality. And the first time I ever climbed, the strength was in my legs, right? And I show up at this climbing wall at a Lifetime Fitness, and they have auto belays, and they point me to the beginner routes, you know, the ones with the, the ABC holds and the dinosaur holds. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I mean, not even halfway up, I could make it. And coincidentally, that is also how I got into ballet. I took a class and it just annihilated me. And that day I went and I bought myself a pair of ballet shoes and I said, I'm gonna get good at this. And that was basically kind of the same thing with climbing. It was just like, oh my gosh, this is such a fun movement. And the first couple of times where I you know, started to go outside and you know, started making a group of friends that you know, I started learning things from and the outdoor aspect of it was what sealed the deal. Right? It's like regenerative for me when I'm out there and you know I'm climbing and you get that flow state of you're just in the zone and you're just moving and everything else just disappears and you're just focused on the there and the now. To me, it's a form of active meditation and it's something that just completely helps soothe me and bring personal joy. Obvious statement, all couples fight because nobody is going to see eye to eye all of the time. But not every couple knows how to navigate conflict in a healthy way. From over four decades of relationship research, American psychologists Dr. Julie and John Gottman consolidated four conflict styles that can fuck up a relationship faster than a duck on a June bug. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, or shutting down. Conflict sucks. We get it. As your stereotypical non-confrontational Libra who loves to keep the peace and despises all conflict, it's hard to remember that conflict is actually an opportunity for growth. And stepping back and asking ourselves, what does this person really need from me, is a way to attune to someone else's feelings. Because communicating when we don't agree is the secret sauce to staying in it for the long haul. There are a couple of trying topics. We've had we've had conflict for sure. So what's troubling for me is that now I become sort of ethnographically embedded in the climbing community. I'm sort of this observer. And I've never met a person who says, I'm a top rope climber 
and that's all I need to do, and that's all I'm entirely satisfied doing. First of all, I would see that person potentially being demeaned for not being a quote-unquote real climber. You're not climbing in a real way, which is interesting because the climbing Overton window seems to have changed over time anyway, where from my understanding, again, not being a climber, but consuming a lot of climbing media, is that real climbing used to be pitons and hip belays and tying a rope around yourself, and that was real climbing. And then it was, you know, bolts are evil, and then it's, well, the bolts are fine, but you have to only do it this way. And so all of these things are gradations of a sport that's changing over time. But I see people who don't participate in the climbing space in a very particular way sort of get told, well, you either need to get to this point to be real or you're not actually participating as a fully fledged climber in the space, which for someone like myself was pretty alienating because I'm like, I will never call myself a climber because I know that the climbing community would reject that notion whatsoever. If I only said, hey, I'm only comfortable never wading the rope on a top rope climb and that's how I feel safest, I'm still top rope climbing. So that's a deterrent for me. I can never fully identify with that community because I'm never gonna be comfortable doing what they say I'd have to do to be real. And I'm watching the people who are into this sport and absorbing what I perceive to be a narrative of escalation. And people seem to keep pushing the envelope in climbing, and that seems to be a goal. And at some point, you start to run into increased risk, no matter how good and experienced you are. I've never participated in a community where there's so much ambient death all the time. So people are constantly dying, and horrifically, and they're traumatizing the communities around them. And famous climbers are on film in tears because of how many people they've lost. And some of that is mountaineering, which I understand is distinct from what we see in the climbing space. But I, there's also this glorification of push, 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 push. And then somebody falls on the boot and has a life-altering injury. And somebody is trying to push the envelope and all of a sudden they disappear off the end of the rope. And that's the end of that person. And I look at my wife and I think, for this sport that I understand is so important for her, and again, I understand that my perspective here is not gonna resonate with a lot of people. But if I die in a car accident on the way to work tomorrow, I was transporting myself to an obligation. If Elisa dies falling off the end of a rope because someone was belaying her incorrectly, what did she die for? And then I'm left with nothing. So that's disturbing for me, is that I understand for Elisa, this is a very important part of her life and it provides something that I don't relate to or understand. But even the most famous climbers have said, you know, they've climbed to the top of these amazing mountains. Once they get there, they're empty, and it's about finding the next one. And I don't know how to cope with that. You know, when Elisa starts talking about, oh, I wanna do big wall, oh, I wanna do multi-pitch, there is no one in the world that I trust to never make a mistake and that mistake could end your life. And then how do I cope with that? And I know that that's selfish, but we're married and I love her and we have a family and a life. So what is the point of climbing? I don't know. It seems like there's not much at the top. I like to say mountains are just as beautiful from the bottom. In fact, that's how you see the mountain is you look up at it. But part of being in a partnership with someone is you support them and when you feel you need to put up guardrails, you try to do it judiciously and with a conscious effort to respect the other person's space and individualism. But there have been moments where I'm like, why do you need to do this? 
why do you need to put me through knowing that you did this? Like, <laughs> I thought Free Solo was an amazing documentary and the most amazing person in it I felt was Sonny. Because, like, yeah, I get it. I mean, obviously, when you look at Free Solo, that's taking an issue that is probably applied very broadly in a small way and taking it to its most extreme conclusion. This guy is climbing, you know, without ropes. Al Cap, it's insane. It's a human triumph, but also, I'm sorry, I'm kind of with Sonny, and I can't possibly not feel for her and what she must have been going through in that moment. And what I'm going through is not even close to that because you, you haven't even done Big Wall. Like, you haven't done those things. But if you did them, it would be hard for me like to know that you went and did that. Especially when it's like, oh, yep, and here's the next news article about the person who fell off of 5'9", and their life is over. And now their family has to pick up the pieces. So that is a source of conflict. When you don't have you know two people that feel the same gratification out of this thing that we call climbing, and you're just the person that's watching it, it can cause friction. I think that we've negotiated it fairly well. I hope so. I hope you feel that way. But I'm much more happy that she's a boulderer now because the idea of her being up on the side of Petrero Chico or El Cap, and again, I know people climb these things all the time. It's like they're walking down to the Safeway. Like, it's no big deal for them. They do this all the time. But that's also disturbing to me because the moment you become comfortable is the moment you make the mistake. So it's almost like the more experience she gets, the more experience you get, the more things you want to try, the more things could go wrong. No one's not human, and all humans make mistakes. So at what point does that mistake result in a call that I don't want to get? It is selfish. Climbing is selfish. I mean, when we first met, right, that was like, yeah, 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 I just want to sport climb and I just want to boulder. And then he started seeing cams come in the mail. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I was like, yeah, right. I know how this goes. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, honey. I just enjoy it. First of all, we don't call each other honey. This is just for a dramatic effect. You know, oh, yeah, sure. I'm totally fine climbing at the lifetime 30 feet up for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. I know that's not the case. I've met you. And cams came in the mail. I think you got your first cams from me, actually. You did. I got you a bouquet. There was a red cam and there was a green cam Uh in the roses. And that was me, like, acquiescing. I think the moment I said the words, oh, no, no, I never want a trad climb, you probably internally rolled your eyes so hard you gave yourself a headache. Oh, yes. (laughs) So a lot of Texas is private land. So there's tons of climbing. It's just not available. And I was invited on an opportunity to learn how to bolt routes on this private piece of land that had been negotiated with the owners through the access fund. That was like the coolest phone call of my life. And so I told Ollie, like, my bucket list is getting a first ascent and this might happen. And so on the second or third time that I went out there in the weekend, I ended up partnering with a, you know, a really good mentor, Carl, and ended up, you know, getting my first ascent. And then the next day we were out there again and that area has a lot of cracks as well. And he, you know, he looked at me and he's like, are you gonna FA that? You know, Carl, I've never led on trad. And so he's like, so are you gonna climb it? There was definitely a moment where I was like, 
Ollie would not approve about what I'm about to say. Yes. <laughs> yes, I will try it. I mean, it was the perfect situation because Carl had been climbing for years and years and he essentially was able to look at that route and could tell, you're going to place this here, you're going to place this there. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to place the first piece for you so that if you fall, you know, I know that that's not going to pull and I'm going to walk you through it. And it was just one of those perfect combination of moments where it just was an opportunity that I could not pass up. And so, I mean, you know, my first track climb was a first ascent. How cool is this? Like, who gets that opportunity? Oh, I don't know if I can tell Ollie. Like, it was like one of those moments where I'm like telling my friends, but I couldn't bring myself to tell you. And I know that that sounds like that sucks. Like, I don't want people to think that... Well, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's not that I didn't have your support. I had it's, told you, I'm sorry, I know we're not supposed to, like, interrupt each other, but, like, I had told you, I think, at one point, just don't tell me you're doing it. Because I'm a very anxious person, and I don't want to be at home thinking about it. So the way she did it was perfect. When she comes home, and she's alive, and she did her thing. I'm like, great, perfect, that's all I need to know. Don't tell me the next time you do it, either. Tell me afterwards. That's fine. But you obviously told me. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard because I know that that is an increased level of risk. Climbing is selfish. And what I am doing is selfish. I mean, what more joy am I getting out of doing a multi-pitcher, a trad route, than I am sport climbing or going out alpine bouldering, right? There is definitely internally a different sense of satisfaction that I'm getting. Is it worth it to put that level of stress and anxiety on my spouse. In that case, yes, there it was. <laughs> but no, I mean, but I mean, I think about that, right? I, I think about where will I draw the line? Because I know where he's drawn the line and where I've pushed the envelope and he's, you know, like, I'm not super pleased about this. This worries me, but something that I kind of struggle with sometimes is, is the risks aren't worth putting Ollie through that. Again, even if nothing ever happens, it, that doesn't matter. It's just not unfair to him. Again, not to like, bring this back to free solo again, but there's a moment that sticks with me from that film, and it's when Alex and Sonny are sitting in the van, and she asks him, do you take me into the equation when you establish what you're going to do with your project? And he's like, absolutely not. No, like I don't care. You don't change my view at all. You don't add any weight to the scale in how I assess the risk I put myself through. And I think what I feel in our relationship is that you take me into the equation and then after that, you make your decision and it's my job to respect that you've made that decision because I trust you to take me into the equation. So it's not about, you can't do this, you know, because I think it's pointless and risky. It's, I know this is important to you. I don't understand it. And I respect that you are thinking of me when you assess the risk. So if you choose to do it, me being unhappy about it is my problem. And you're a whole person and you're gonna go do what you're gonna do. Us being married doesn't mean, just cause I love you doesn't mean that all of a sudden you can only do the things I'm comfortable with you doing. That's not to say it's not very hard for me. It sucks, like I don't like to think about it, but it doesn't really matter. Cause you're amazing to know and to be with, so. If you weren't doing those things that made you who you are, then why would I want to be with you? If something is so important in your life that you feel like you have to change the person you're considering dating in order to make that relationship work, don't date that person. Like, you're already setting this obligation that this person doesn't know they're consenting to when you date them. You have this idea of achieving this goal with this person that they're not even aware of. Don't do that. <laughs> 
that's weird, in my opinion. Now, that said, like, say my thing was model trains. Could be, it's not, but say it was model trains, and I'm like, my love, every time we buy a house, from now until the day we die, I need a room dedicated to model trains. And you were like, absolutely not, that's crazy. I'm like, okay, well, that's so important to me that I don't think this relationship's going to work. I don't want her being like, I hate model trains and I'm gonna hate them and seethe until the day we die, but okay, I still wanna be with you. Like, don't do that. Don't try to change that person that much. Elisa didn't change me into a climber or not a climber. Elisa has a hobby and a passion that I participate in because I love her and I support her in because I love her. And sometimes that means that I go out and I belay her or we bend our schedule to make sure that, you know, for her happiness and mental health, we hit that next boulder field, we hit that next crag. It's not for me, it's for us because it's for her. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. And she's well aware. She's like, I know that you'd rather be checking out the Boulder Public Library. I get that. You want to go buy a book and look at minerals. Fine. But she also knows that I will support her and we will go and do the things she enjoys because it makes her happy. It doesn't mean that she changed me in the fact that I support her. He's very generous with his time. <laughs> But I mean, to his point of like, you know, it's the thing that brings me great joy, right? You know, there have been times where I've been like, hey, I really, really want to go climb in this area and try these routes. Will you come with me? And, you know, he's like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And we go out there and, you know, we start climbing and, you know, I get lowered. I'm like, do you want to top rope it? And he's like, no, I'm not going to have fun with it. Let me just belay you on whatever you want to do and you have a good time. And... I mean, that's the most generous thing, right? It's like he's getting nothing out of it other than doing something that makes me happy. And that's super, that's that's just super nice. But I mean, I, also... I get to look at you. I mean, that's nice. Is that too, is that too racy? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I'm being a little cheeky, but no, to be honest, you get to see a person in their element. And I happen to be in the orbit of some very remarkable people. My wife happens to be one. My sister is another. She goes and she talks to the Texas legislature all the time and tries to get them to understand what needs to be done to make our communities more inclusive to people with various disabilities. Uh, and by the way, the community that has people with disabilities in it, that's the one community that you could end up joining at any point in your life. So that's my piece there. But she's remarkable. She's an incredible person. My parents are incredible people. Their love that they share is the model for the love that I want to have in my relationship with Lisa. Elisa is another one of those amazing people. So you just get to bask in it and enjoy it. And if that means doing a thing that isn't your favorite thing, well, buck up, like that's fine. You can do things that aren't your favorite thing. How selfish are you if you only do things that are your favorite thing? So Elisa does things with me that I enjoy and I do things with Elisa that she enjoys and makes her feel like a whole person. It's not that hard. I don't, I don't feel like it's some great sacrifice. I mean, for instance, okay, but today you really wanted to go bouldering and I'm like, I know you really wanna go bouldering. However, we have a timetable issue. We had an hour and 40 minutes to go from boulder to meet with you today, Kathy. And she's like, I want to boulder in between. I'm like, there is not enough time for that. 
There's not enough time for that. I love you very much, but I cannot add minutes to the day. So if we do this, it's going to be unpleasant because we are going to be rushed and stressed. And you're not going to enjoy your outdoor time because you'll be rushed and I'll be stressed. So we compromised and we went for a hike and it didn't last long because it started to rain and thunder and we learned our lesson last time. But we make it work, but it's not ridiculous. It's not like, yes, man, we're going bouldering. Like, no, like we cannot fit boulders in today. That's not gonna happen. But I want to see you do those things because those things make you who you are. Where can I get one of you? I thought it would be fun to pull some comments off ye old internet and read them for Ollie and Elisa's hot take. For me, if it came between a girl and climbing, I would choose climbing in most scenarios. But I also take the sport more seriously than most, so I'm biased. I love climbing more than any other activity that I do. But if that is all I have is my identity and I sprain my ankle and can't climb, what is left of me, <laughs> you know? It, it, like there's so much more to life. And that's definitely something that I've had to learn. Cause I, I mean, when I first started climbing, I was just like absolutely obsessed and definitely monofocused, but. That was a conversation, I'm sorry to interject, but that was a conversation we had to have. That was a conflict because I'm sitting here, I know this person pretty well, and I'm seeing that she has not diversified her portfolio of activities. And I have seen what happens when the access to climbing is cut off for any reason. And it's upsetting because she wants to do that thing that's so positive for her mental health and she can't do it. But Elisa, you have to find other things that you enjoy. Because if God forbid something happens, you are gonna be coping with the fact that you have to reshape your identity. And I've met a lot of people that have been climbing for a very long time. They tend to have a healthier relationship with climbing and managing, you know, their romantic relationships and life and everything in general. And the common thread is that they understand that climbing will always be there and that if you just 100% do this all of the time, you're gonna burn out in some capacity. It's not sustainable. There are plenty of, again, very, very strong climbers that I know that have mentioned, yeah, I've taken six months off. I've taken a couple of years off. And it's just because I had kids. I moved to a, you know, a new job and then they came back to it and they're just as strong. And again, their relationship with it is a lot healthier. And it's just unreasonable to want something 100% of the time. You're gonna burn out. Speaking of taking breaks, we'll be back. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive 10% off your first month. It helps support the show and it helps support you. What else am I doing? making a film project right now. 
Blake is a climbing partner of mine and one of my first friends in Flagstaff, someone that I'm really close to. And Blake at one point asked me to come over to the tourist home, which is a coffee shop in Flagstaff. And he was like, so I wanted to pitch a film idea to you. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And he's like, so I want to make a film. And I was like, about what? And he's like, about you. And I was like, oh. That's interesting. And at the time, we thought it was going to be this really small thing. Like, I was like, oh, he's going to make this like 10 minute film about me rock climbing. And that sounds cool. And I kind of agreed to do it because I was kind of like exploring what it would mean to be more open about my identity, especially in the climbing world. And I thought it could be a cool way to just be a little bit more visible and share that with other people. And it's turned into a big thing now. (laughs) It's not a 10 minute film. And I think that because there's a really big exploration process with gender when you're trans, that sometimes people will think that what you're trying to communicate is who you are, when really you're just communicating another aspect of what you are. It sounds kind of out there, like nebulous, but it actually isn't. It's just like everyone knows they have just like a core human inside of them that doesn't need anything else to define it. Go to patagonia.com slash climbing or visit the Patagonia YouTube channel to watch They Them streaming online now. You don't have to include any of this. It could just be between us. But it is fascinating to be with my book at the climbing gym and watching the dynamics between you and the people, cough, men at the gym and how they'll act towards me and the difference towards you. It is fascinating. Someone needs to do a study who's not me because I'm not a scientist, but... Fellas, if you're a climber and you have a climbing lady in your life, I encourage you to just sit and watch and see what it is she's experiencing when she's at the gym. Because when I'm climbing and I have my earbuds in, nobody comes and stands next to me and just continues to talk at me until I deign to listen to them. No one feels so entitled to my time. I don't even know if we can count the number of times that that has happened to you, where you are actively exercising and a male person will come and stand next to you and talk at you until you feel so confronted that you have to remove your earbud and look at him and engage with that person even it's just be like hey sorry i'm in the middle of something the idea that somebody would do that to me like i don't understand it's bizarre and then the beta spraying when you are clearly superior in your ability and i'm sorry like this sound i'm very biased but it's true i watched the climb of the person who's spraying the beta and i watch elisa and elisa's the most gracious human being in the world let me tell you this but Lisa is so much better. And like, you have no reason to engage with this person you don't know. Why are you telling this person how to climb? And not just out of a shared enthusiasm for the sport, like instructionally approaching Elisa and telling her how to climb. She's like, no, I got it, thanks. Like, I'm not looking for beta. <laughs> so that's another one. And we've talked about this for hours and hours in the car because it, it is fascinating. It's fascinating to watch and to know that that's real and that in addition to you going the side project you have is dealing with the dynamic at the gym. I don't have that problem. 
That's that's a running joke. Yes. Yeah. Anytime I come home from the gym, oh, yeah. he looks at me and he goes, "How many boyfriends did you make?" <laughs> I was like, oh. yeah, how, "How many boyfriends did you get at the gym today?" Because yeah, you know, I mean, I understand. I'm married to her. I get it. You want to go talk to? Sorry, stop me if I'm being problematic. But like, no, you're very charismatic and you have a beautiful smile and you're attractive. And if I was a guy at the gym, I'd be like, I would really like to meet her. She's cool. And some guys, they basically tell you how to climb to show off, and that's gross and not the way to do it. You may have, you've made many quote unquote boyfriends at the gym. <laughs> it's cause that's apparently where, where, where we're going to do that. I get that, but don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, for someone who doesn't deem himself a climber, Ollie certainly has a deep understanding of the sport and all of its weird little intricate, intricate quirks. And all of its weird little intricate, intricate, intra, intricate, Oh my God. <laughs> Ollie certainly has a deep understanding of the sport and all of its weird little intricate quirks. True rock climbing doesn't follow a dotted line up a cliff or require you to perform at a certain level or even outside if that's not your thing. There's no single image or size or way to be a climber. However you identify, if it's something that you connect with and find connection through, let those feelings validate the experience. Because maybe the real climbers are the ones who know how to hold space for all the slices of joy that both climbing and life have to offer. But he says he's not a, he's like, I'm not a climber, but I'm like, you've climbed places that most climbers haven't. I mean, it's like you've bouldered at Rocky Mountain, you've climbed in Yosemite, you've You've climbed places <laughs> that most climbers haven't. I'm there because we drove together. <laughs> like, like, you're super gracious and generous. I'm not a climber. I think you're the only person in the world that would feel like maybe I am. It's just because you're just rosy glasses. It's great. I love climbing with Lisa, but I say that and like, I'm not the one climbing. I'm the belay B-I-T-C-H. And I don't mind. No, you're not. You're you're my favorite belayer. That's true. I'm your favorite belayer. I'm a good belayer. I'm a I that I I know that. That's true. I, I am good at it. But I also really appreciate that you now have other people in your life that you can go climbing with. It's nice. And I trust them. So it's <laughs> nice to know that you're going out safely and enjoying a time. Cause I want you to enjoy the time that you have outside without having to know that this isn't my thing. You know what I mean? You're immersed with people who are like, yes, this is our thing. And they happen to all be ladies, which is great. They rock so hard, they're so cool. It just so happens that in a space where it's so male dominated, my wife has become the catalyst for this amazing positive group that the people who are the vanguard of the climbs that we do happen to be women. And that's not super common, I'm aware of that. Mostly through a lot of education that you've given me. And so it's nice to know that you have that and you kind of went out and made it for yourself. And she goes out and she climbs with guys all the time. Oh, that doesn't matter. I don't care at all because she would be showing them how to do it. But that's at this point run of the mill. You know, that's not remarkable in my opinion. I don't know if this should go in. It might make people mad. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's not going in. I mean, it's just, we talk so much about toxic masculinity, right? Like, this is what positive masculinity could look like. I wish we had the other guys here, because they get all the credit, too. Mm -hmm. They're the same. Joe and, and Dave and, and David and the guys who own the gym in San Antonio. San Antonio, Texas. 
there's a lot of positivity there. A lot of positivity. And yes, there is toxicity and some sort of pathological individualism that runs through the climbing community, but there are a lot of people, a lot of men in the community that I think, and that's just my perspective, that are doing a really good job of setting a good example and creating a more positive culture. But more importantly, there's people like you, I think. And I'll be there to blame you. That's fine. I'm gonna write poems about it. So I'm responding to the Instagram post about if your partner does not climb and you do. It's definitely something that has really been making me think about having a partner who doesn't have the same likes and interests that you do and having that be okay. I'm a climber. My partner is not really a climber. Um, sometimes I can drag him out, but I wouldn't really say he's a climber. But I love him so much because he gives me the time and the space to pursue this obsession, I guess. He knows that climbing is my thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be our thing. Uh, and I think that makes me really appreciate the non-climbing moments in my life, especially with him so much more, which is good for me. I've been climbing for about two years after I graduated college and decided to move into the back of my Subaru Forester and uh, pursue climbing and climbing photography and just live, breathe climbing for about a year. And I've only been climbing for about six months and I kind of just got really into it because Emily was super into it and I liked Emily, so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, something I admire about Riley is his pure determination and passion for everything that he does. Whether that's with climbing, especially when he's first started getting into it, he really pushes himself to try hard and to also have fun while doing it. And what I admire about Emily is that she's super patient and understanding and just overall nice and a very kind-hearted human being. And that goes from climbing and not climbing as well in kind of all aspects of life. But she's the thing that kept pushing me to try climbing and I have a deep appreciation for her for that. I became a climber while I was married to my husband and he just has no interest, which is totally cool. He's super supportive, encourages me to go on all the trips I want, and a condition of us getting married was, I'm gonna keep doing these adventurous things. And if you wanna come, great. If you don't, also great, but I can't change who I am. And this is how this is going to work. And it's worked out wonderful. Um, he, again, is very loving and supportive and is cool with me going to hang out without him. And it's actually very healthy for us to have activities and friends to do things with outside of each other. It makes our relationship stronger, in my opinion. And it's been really great to keep some of that individuality that sometimes you lose when you get married. I am not a climber, but I am in a relationship with a climber. And despite me not being a climber or not considering myself one, I like to think that I'm on the route to learning how to climb. Uh, is something that not only brings me closer to him, but it has 
a lot of benefits. So I love many things about my boyfriend, but definitely him being a climber is at the top of the list because he's very devoted to it. Always learning, always reading, currently training, and um, he's going to be going to what I like to call the Alpine School of Harry Potter, <laughs> because he has a very crazy description, like Harry Potter's school. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the, the dedication, the commitment, the constant pursuit to do this more than, than a hobby, but a lifestyle for him and how his eyes just light up so much when he's talking about being outside and climbing and sharing it with people. Very passionate about climbing and so passionate that it's contagious. So you're a climber and I wouldn't necessarily call myself a climber, but I like that you are a climber. I like watching you work on projects and get excited when you top out and I go out with you and move your crash pads around and help you down off the tall boulders when you finally make it up. I don't necessarily understand the impulse to, to climb rocks like you do, but I like seeing you do it. You also built me a climbing wall in the attic, so we're a little too far into this to go back now. It's a good commitment. It's a good commitment. I'm Ray, my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Lou, and my pronouns are they and he. And we like each other. That's true. I, I love Ray, arguably. And I'm a rock climber. And I'm not. I am a small, fat, chronically ill person. <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> and that doesn't matter. What I love most about Lou, I don't know, there's so many things. I think that as somebody that doesn't do sports, that it's really cool to see somebody move their body that way and to put so much trust into their body. That's something that I don't really understand. And it's something that I really admire because being connected to your body in that way is really special. And it's also just lovely to like see somebody that you love, love something like so hard. It's not that I don't like it or that I don't have an interest in it. It's just something that like, you don't see a lot of people who look like me do that. And so it can be intimidating, but it's nice to have a partner that is able-bodied, who is understanding of that and create space for me to also be outside with them. Now you have to say what you love about me. <laughs> Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support us, check out patreon.com, where you can sponsor us for as little as one cup of bodega coffee. It really helps keep this podcast going. And for the record, we love bodega coffee. Special shout out to Peter Darmy because he makes this thing sound good.
You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the planet. And thanks to Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes. Or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time. So when I was young and moody, you know, as young people are, I mean, let's start with like 13 years old when it starts getting really angsty. And, you know, I wrote dark poetry. First of all, I have the most privileged, sparkly life of anybody ever in the world. So I have the most vanilla upbringing, the most positive parents, wonderful role models. I am blessed. So what I was writing moody poetry about, I have no idea. But then, you know, I got a little bit older. It, well, I got a little bit older. I became an adult, a fully formed human being adult. And I tried out Instagram. I'm gonna sound like an old person now. I tried out Instagram and I was like, I'm gonna follow some poets. This sounds great. All of the poetry was so sad. It was so sad. And I understand that people are expressing themselves and I respect that. But I'm like, you know what? I'm really looking for some like just goofy stuff, loving stuff, positive stuff, not about broken hearts, you know, or bad times. So I'm gonna write just wholesome poetry. And so that's how I got into writing poetry of late. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't written a lot of poetry lately. <laughs> I write a haiku once in a while, but those are easy. They're short. <laughs> that's about, and it's nothing remarkable. It's just, I well, like poems. I mean, it's impressive to write a poem about pesto. <laughs> <laughs> and most of my poems are about Elisa, food, or animals. Wait, do you have the pesto one? The pesto oh one? I can pull it up you for you. Do you really want it? Okay. You're going to lose subscribers, Kathy. Definitely not. Okay. One thing is I kind of hate the sound of my own voice, so you'll have to forgive me if I stumble over my reading of this. Here, I found it. Okay. All right, guys. This is dumb. <laughs> it's beautiful. You're really confronted by how dumb your poetry is when you have to read it out loud. Okay. Herbaceous cream blends basil green beneath the pressing pestle. Pine nuts bloom and garlic fumes with Parma's tender speckle. A golden hoard of oil poured pulls close the fragrant pate, which then cajoled from mortable coats penne freshly sauteed. I was just really into pasta that day, okay? <laughs> like, isn't that great? That's so good. It's just pasta, guys. <laughs>